0: Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: In James' discipleship course, there were three characteristics of God that are to be mirrored in the life of followers of Jesus. So here are the three marks of a changed life. One, uh, God's character and his purpose for us is holiness. So we are to use, according to James, every opportunity and especially our hardships to grow in perseverance, maturity, prayer, wisdom and purity of life. And and the second thing, uh, God cares for the helpless Uh, So compassion for the strugglers and not favouring the rich over the poor is to be a mark of a Christian. And thirdly, God gives us his word of truth, and our words are to reflect his. The unexpected part, I think, of growing as a disciple of Jesus, according to James, is that we need to learn to control our words. Or to put that another way, uh, James has just been uh, talking about the religion of the gaps, that is, the the gap between our faith uh, statements and commitments and uh, our lives, our deeds, our works. But here what he's saying is that a large, large part of what we do is actually what we say. And we know this, don't we? We, we, we know this. If, if you've uh, been with us for our journey uh, through the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Scriptures uh, earlier this year, you will know that how we use and misuse words is actually the biggest theme of the book of Proverbs. And, and we are made in the image of the speaking God. With our words, we can create and imagine things that don't exist. We can tear down, and we, we can build up. We, we can encourage people on, onto the path of life, or we can set them onto the path of death, or by our words. So it's, it's no surprise. It's a big theme also in the letter of James the Just. In fact, his discipleship course has a lot to say about our words. So in chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verses from verse 3, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, uh, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, well, you stand over here or sit up On the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Uh, Or chapter 2, verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Chapter 3, verse 17, the fruit of wise words and works. um, But the wisdom that comes from above, writes James, is first of all pure and then peace-loving. Then considerate and submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial and sincere. And peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Chapter four verse one. What causes fights and, and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, a battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you, you, you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You, you do not have because you do not ask God. But even when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Chapter four, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. Chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or or that. As it is, you boast in arrogant schemes, but all such boasting is evil. Chapter 5, verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Chapter 5, verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not only by heaven or by earth, but by anything else at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Chapter 5, verse 13, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill and call for the elders of the church to pray over them? You see, it's not that James is recommending that we be silent. Like the wisdom writings we've been looking at, This year, he is saying that one of the costs, one of the marks of discipleship, of being a follower of the Lord Jesus is wise speech. Now, this is why it says in the passage today that not many of you should become teachers in the church. There are lots of people who think they can do a better job than their regular teachers. And we've known that ever since uh, the ink dried on the book of Numbers, we've known that many, many people think that they can be Moses and, and do a better job than Moses. But those who think they can are often precisely those who do not understand the costs. There's a risk associated with any speech, but especially so when we're trying to teach on God's words. It's not just the congregation that will judge you, that they will. But there is a stricter judgment that applies to teachers of God's word by God. Think about it. All all, all the gift lists in the New Testament begin with and emphasize word gifts. The word gifts all come up front in importance. You know, God Gave first apostles, then then prophets, then teachers, and and so forth from Paul's list in Ephesians. But the reason those word lists lists come up first in importance is because it it is the words, it is the proclamation of God's words that actually establish and sustain the people of God. These words are powerful, and they are creative words. So Paul writes to uh, Timothy, watch carefully your life and doctrine. In our Anglican ordinal, the service that we use for ordaining uh, clergy, it says, take authority to preach the word in the churches to which you are sent, and then form your own life and the life of your family according to its doctrines. Misuse of these words. Well, it happens far too often, doesn't it, in the church? And there's a terrible cost to God's dear people in false teaching. This is why when I'm uh, trying to train people to preach, I I say to them, stand behind. Uh, Never say, here is what I think God is like. Or never say, here is the heaven I prefer or the hell I refuse to believe in. And never say, or here's the wisdom I want to give to you. No, stand behind the words of Jesus, the prophecy of Moses, the writings of Paul, the visions of Daniel or John the collected wisdom of the sages, you need to stand behind the tested and accepted
2: and true and living words of God.
1: And then the challenge is to walk the path of trying to reduce the gap between these words and your own life. Because the first congregation of any sermon has to always be the preacher. And verse 2 of our passage today, James admits there, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We all stumble, all preachers of the word stumble. No one is perfect in what they say or how their lives match up to it. But teachers of the words of God bear a heavier responsibility in, in this, there's a greater weight attached to them when they fall. Um, so don't quickly desire to become a teacher of the Word of God in the churches because these words have power and weight and seriousness that cannot be lightly handled. Now, to drive it home, James, who, as you know, is a very colourful preacher, like his brother, really, um, he gives us three illustrations of the power of words generally. So first of all, he starts off by giving us uh, some positive uses of words, how how words can control violent or uncontrollable forces. Uh, Words can be like a a bit uh, to guide a horse, and we see all the time, how how do you control and uh, direct the power of a great nation? Well, you start with words. Constitutions, uh, laws are, are small things that are written down to guide that kind of power. Or he uses the illustration of a rudder. Uh, Words, though small, guide us through the storms of life. Words uh, can teach us the wisdom, the skills that can help us to learn. They're small, but they matter to our success. And then he gives us uh, some negative uh, use of words. And he talks about uncontrolled words, words that we just gush out put-downs and so forth, that we're just not thinking through. And, and he said, it's like having your body full of a world of evil. There's all sorts of wrongs that just pour out of us, and it, it marks the person, that words go so deeply into us that, that they stain our personalities. It's like walking around with a, a birthmark on your forehead. Everyone sees what we are except us, but it also ruins our lives because the the gaps between our actions and our ideals, our works, and our words cause things to fall apart. In the the worst cases, of course, we justify ourselves into hell with beautifully crafted excuses. But the hardest part of James' teaching on words, I think, is here in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed And have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now I find this hard. It's almost a counsel of uh, despair. The tongue cannot be tamed. It is restless. It's like it's pacing the room until it's able to do some wrong. Uh, We cannot uh, wait just to spurt out the things that are within us regardless of the consequences, the harm they cause, the hurt that goes deep into others that we don't even see and imagine. Now, this is like the gap between our faith and deeds that proves faith is worthless and cannot save. The gap in our words is that all this, which James calls cursing, It's directed against the image of God. It's directed against the people that's around us. And it comes from the same mouth that wants to praise God. Now, as James has already said about uh, doubt, we're basically two-souled. We're we're walking civil wars. We're contradictions to ourselves. And this shows up most powerfully in our words because our words reveal our hearts. Now, James has already reminded us... uh, That what we really think about God is shown in how we treat people. And a major way we treat people, a major way we relate to people is not with our hands, uh, but with the sounds that fall from our lips. The characters that fly off our keyboards nowadays. So I've been wondering what to do with this. Why James wants us to think about how hard it is to tame our tongues. Impossible, he says, to uh, consistently get it right. And next week we will we'll be looking at how he tells us about the help we can have to move in the right direction. But for now, I think the reason he tells us this powerful tool, this powerful weapon, the tongue, cannot be tamed is because he wants to, us to be aware of the size of the problem. I think we need the reminder because basically we're soaked in words, arguably more so at any time in human history. We cannot take in all the words that are sent to us every day. We have our own self-talk going on in our heads, the arguments that we're having all the time, uh, that, that we use words in our relationship, and, and we're swamped by words in our work the, the emails, the, the, the chats, the, the meetings, the minutes, the agendas, the plans, the papers, our online words never, never end. I miss newspapers because they have a last page, and they come out once a day, but a newsfeed. It never ends. So we have to ignore words. We have to treat words as trivial. We struggle to find the words that matter uh, because they're buried and overwhelmed by other words. But I I think James has in mind his brother Jesus' teaching when he's speaking to us about words because Jesus said in Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree evil, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you who speak evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every
2: empty word they have spoken. For by our words, you will be acquitted. By your words, you will be condemned. Let's pray. Lord, please help me to see the power of my words so that by your grace I may begin to be healed and my words tame your glory.